I feel incredibly proud to have been part of this moment with so many incredibly talented, uh, wonderful people. And it just makes me feel very proud that I live in a state that wants to create equality for everyone. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Eight years ago this month, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. Today, we're going back into the archives to rebroadcast a Vermont Conversation from 2015 that aired just a week after the Supreme Court decision. In that program, we traced the roots of the marriage equality revolution back to Vermont, Among the guests on that program were former State Representative Bill Lippert and former Vermont Supreme Court Chief Justice Jeff Amistoy. It was the first time that the two pioneers spoke together about their respective roles in the marriage equality movement. Here is that Vermont conversation from July 8, 2015. On June 26, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a 5-4 to four ruling, made marriage equality, or same-sex marriage, the law of the land. The avalanche that swept across America actually began as a snowball high up in the Green Mountains. Today, we're going to talk about Vermont's role in the marriage equality revolution with the pioneers of that effort here in Vermont. We're joined by former Chief Justice Jeffrey Amistoy, who was the author of the groundbreaking Baker versus Vermont ruling in 1999 that led to Vermont becoming the first state in the nation to legalize civil unions, which mandated that same-sex couples be granted the rights of marriage, the same rights of marriage as heterosexual couples. We're also joined by State Representative Bill Lippert, the first openly gay member of the Vermont State Legislature who led the fight for passage of civil unions in 2000 and later in 2009, the fight for same-sex marriage. We're also joined on the phone by Susan Murray, an attorney with Lang, Roxbury and Wool in Middlebury. She represented, along with Beth Robinson, who is now a Vermont Supreme Court Justice, the plaintiffs in the Baker versus Vermont case. And Stacy Jollis and Nina Beck, a lesbian couple who together were one of the three same-sex couples who sued the state of Vermont in the late 1990s, thus beginning the fight for legal marriage equality in Vermont and ultimately in the United States. Welcome all of you to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's begin at the beginning, which is with Stacy Jollis and Nina Beck. Um, you were a couple here in Vermont in the 1990s. Um, well, first, let me just ask you, bring it uh, up to this moment. What was your reaction upon hearing that the United States Supreme Court had legalized uh, same-sex marriage, Stacy and Nina? Well, this, this is Stacey. We were, of course, just absolutely thrilled. Uh, you know, when we began this in the late 90s, uh, we thought it would be, uh, you know, a tough fight and a long fight. And for it to happen um, in our lifetime seems incredible. Well, you, of course, had an important role in this, although, you know, across the country, people may not realize where that little snowball started. Stacy, um, can you talk about what brought you to become part of this landmark case, Baker versus Vermont, 
Um, what brought you to sue the state of Vermont? I'm actually going to answer that question. This is Nina. And it all started, um, we were very inspired by the case in Hawaii, actually, in 1991. And we, we, we watched their fight, and they did not succeed, but we were inspired by that to say, if there was ever a time when we could be part of bringing legal marriage to same-gender couples, we wanted to be part of that. And Nina, can you just remind us what that Hawaii case was? So, uh, yes, in 1991, I believe, um, there were several couples in Hawaii that brought suit to be able to be married. Um, They were actually, it seemed like they were going to succeed, but in the end they did not, and actually it got worse for them after that because the state of Hawaii uh, passed a DOMA, so it actually got worse for them afterwards. That's the Defense of Marriage Act. Right. Um, But we just were very inspired that if people, you know, if people somewhere in the United States could do it, we could do it. Um, So I proposed to Stacy um, on the beach in Ventura uh, in 1991 and said we agreed that if we could ever be part of this fight, we wanted to be. And in the when it. When we came to Vermont and we met people in Vermont Freedom to Marry and we knew that people here were working very hard to, to succeed at this, we said we just, we just need to be part of it, you know? Now, I, I remember um, I first met you back in 1999 when I was covering the civil unions case, and you told me about your own uh, scary kind of realization that uh, you were adopting a son but um, talk about the kind of precarious nether, legal netherworld this placed you in as a same-sex couple. Well, it actually happened with our first son, Noah. Um, Noah was born in 1994, and he was actually born with a heart defect. Um, and uh, we were planning on having actually a home birth, but uh, Nina and Noah uh, got into medical trouble, and so we rushed to the hospital. Um, Luckily, in those days, I had the wisdom and we had the financial ability to have paperwork on hand that gave me the power of attorney and the health care rights to be with both Nina and and, uh, Noah at the time. Um, But what happened is that we were stopped at the emergency room, and they would not let me in. Um, now, of course, if I was a man and I was running in with a pregnant woman uh, in labor, they wouldn't have stopped us at all. Of course, they would have made assumptions that I was her husband. Um, but at the time, they stopped me and um, made me wait while Nina was rushed in so that someone could come out and sit down and review my paperwork before they allowed me in. Um, the second thing that happened is Noah... Um, died two and a half years later from his heart defect, and um, we had quite a battle convincing them to put uh, my name on the death certificate um, because they did not want to. Um, now it's not just they didn't want to, David. They did not know how to put uh, my name on a death certificate um, at the time. So you really uh, came face to face and had personal experience with the kind of, uh, you know, precariousness that same-sex couples were living with. 
Um, well, let me move to Susan Murray, who was your attorney in the Baker case. Uh, Susan, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. So you were in the 90s and perhaps before representing a number of same-sex couples on with, with a variety of legal problems. What what were you seeing out there? I was seeing, uh, first of all, I want to say um, hello to everybody else on the panel. And Nina and Stacy, thank you for being here. They, you know, they, uh, my, uh, Nina and Stacy were two of the six plaintiffs in this case, three couples, and all of them were incredible uh, clients to have. <laughs> they were articulate, they were determined, they were patient, they were very courageous in the face of the onslaught that was going on for them back then. And I'm happy to say that they're all three couples are still together and doing well. So, um, but they had stories just like the stories that Nina and Stacy just told you about their their difficulties dealing with the institution, with the with the state, uh, with as it relates to uh, Noah and his uh, illness and death. Um, many couples I've I've run into have had the same uh, similar types of of dilemmas. You know, they they would come to me and ask me to help them. Uh, try to make their relationship approximate marriage, but there's only so much I as a private practitioner could do. If they had the money and the wherewithal, they could have me write wills for them and powers of attorney and things like that, but that wasn't going to help them, enable them to file joint tax returns or be able to get social security spousal benefits or, uh, you know, be able to uh, become, uh, get, receive pension benefits, any things like that. There's just a, there's a thousand federal benefits alone that are, are result from, from marital status, from being married to someone that my clients were unable to access. So there wasn't anything we could do as private practitioners to close that gap except to file suit. Now, you were seeing, uh, Susan Mary, around the country, um, some pretty dramatic and ugly efforts to stop uh, same-sex couples from getting any kind of special rights. Um, as Nina mentioned, you know, passage of the Defense of Marriage Act in Hawaii uh, following their efforts. So filing a landmark lawsuit uh, is a really big deal and kind of a scary one. What did you, did you have some pause and did you give your, uh, your clients, these three couples, um, were you concerned about them? Well, um, we may have been naive about how long it was going to take, but I, I don't think we were unprepared or, or silly about, you know, what was likely to happen. Um, we knew what was going on in Hawaii. We did an enormous amount of legal research ahead of time. We vetted many, many people before we said these are going to be our clients and uh, because people would come to us. Uh, but the most, most important thing we did, and by we, I mean uh, Beth Robinson and I and many, many people in the community, um, Beth and I formed the Vermont Freedom to Marry Task Force in the early 90s. And we, well before we ever filed suit, we went out into the community, first into the gay and lesbian community, and then into supportive straight communities, and then into church groups and rotary clubs and um, county fairs. And we talked about the issue of marriage equality and the hardships that gay and lesbian Vermonters were enduring because they weren't able to enter into this institution that other people could enter into. Now, um, and so that's what, we, that's what we did, and we, we sort of laid that groundwork, that grassroots groundwork, well before we ever decided to file suit. Because I think the lesson of Hawaii was that they won the case on the legal merits, 
but they lost it in the court of public opinion because they didn't lay that uh, grassroots groundwork as we had done. Now, you're trained as a lawyer, but what you're describing is good old-fashioned community organizing. What right. uh, what gave you the the insight into and the experience to go out and do that? I had no experience, but lots of passion. <laughs> Um, I, you know, we, we saw what had happened and what mistakes were made in Hawaii and realized that if we had any chance of winning here in Vermont, we were going to have to work on the ground. And so that's how I, Beth and I both spent our free time, so to speak, um, for several years. Well, let's um, follow this case as it moved along. It moved from uh, Nina and Stacy through uh, Susan Murray uh, over to the uh, into the court system, where it ultimately landed uh, on the desk of the former Chief Justice of the Vermont Supreme Court, Jeffrey Amistoy. Um, Jeff, uh, first of all, I, I will take this a little out of sequence. I have to get what was your reaction to hearing that the U.S. Supreme Court had legalized uh, same-sex marriage? Um, well. First of all, I was extraordinarily uh, uh, grateful for, uh, as others uh, believe, that uh, that Justice Kennedy was the swing vote, and and I think we all spent a lot of time reading the tea leaves, and I went through listening to the oral argument a couple of times, and uh, the question for me, as it was for others, was whether Justice Kennedy would be the fifth vote, and not only, of course, was he the fifth vote, he was also... Um, the writer of the opinion, so I think that uh, that meant a great deal to uh, to those of us who uh, have uh, have followed this issue. So, um, as uh, as I think I said to someone when the decision came down, uh, I thought I think the court was just catching up to the rest of the country, but the rest of the country was catching up to Vermont. So, <laughs> you uh, wrote in your decision, uh, the Baker versus Vermont, Vermont decision, that. Um, uh, ordering the Vermont legislature to craft a law that would uh, leg- either legalize same uh, gay marriage or create an equivalent partnership structure. And you wrote that this decision was, quote, simply a recognition of our common humanity. What led you to write those words? Well, I should start, I suppose, with a, a bit of disclaimer that in terms of uh, uh, legal analysis. I'll leave uh, others to to look at the opinions. Uh, not only there is not only the majority opinion that I wrote uh, for, for unanimous court, but also um, Justice Johnson, Justice Dooley's opinions, all well well reasoned opinions. But I do want to speak to a little bit of actually what Nina mentioned in terms of the landscape of the issue. Uh, uh, it had not only been Hawaii but Alaska as well, at least at a trial level had taken a first step uh, for uh, equality of marriage, and that was quickly overturned by uh, the Alaska legislature uh, as uh, in Hawaii, of course, by, by popular vote. So uh, one of the aspects that uh, most concerned me uh, in crafting the opinion was recognizing that in state constitutional law, an opinion of a, of a, of a Supreme Court is really an opening argument, if you will, because state, particularly in the state constitution system, as we've seen across the country, constitutions can be amended by popular vote. 
and often are in response to uh, state constitutional decisions. So it was important from my perspective that when this decision became a matter of debate, not only in the legislature, but of debate among Vermonters, that they talked about it in terms that uh, weren't laden with legal terms, but terms that would allow them to reflect uh, their common experience and common humanity. And I thought that was probably the best way of advancing the kind of uh, dialogue that was going to be necessary um, before uh, a vote would be taken on what the next step was. Because you know, ultimately, though, when we sit on the court, we think we're the, the final arbiters, and we are to a certain extent, but uh, never in the, in the context of constitutional law where, where uh, the Constitution can be amended. Well, let me ask, uh, we're talking here in the Vermont Conversation with some of the pioneers of the marriage equality movement and series of decisions uh, that ultimately led to the Supreme Court decision to legalize same-sex marriage throughout the country last month. Uh, And we're talking uh, right now with former Chief Justice Jeffrey Amistoy. Um, Your background, you had been an attorney general uh, for, I believe it was four terms, you were Republican attorney general. Um, the Republican Party had not been particularly supportive of these kind of social justice issues, particularly as it relates to, uh, you know, LGBT rights. What kind of a quandary did that put you in? I don't think I ever thought of it from that perspective. Um, again, I leaving aside again, speaking not to the illegal analysis, which Again, you can, one can find in the opinion of, of of the precedent that we thought led us to the interpretation of the Common Benefits Clause. But certainly reacting, I was re- reacting to the issue, I think, uh, as, a, as a Vermonter. And I think, I, and as a native Vermonter, I thought I had a certain understanding as a result of my life in Vermont and, and being an elected official. And uh, that um, it would require... A social issue like this would require uh, a dialogue, and as as, as certainly uh, Susan Susan Murray and Beth Robinson understood from the from the very beginning, um, we tend to forget that in in uh, 1986 the Equal Rights Amendment for the Vermont Constitution, supported by uh, Governor Madeline Keenan, our first uh, woman governor, uh, Senator Jim Jeffords. Uh, and a Republican Attorney General, which was me, um, despite the polling that showed it was going to be uh, endorsed overwhelmingly, was actually defeated by Vermonters. So, and part of that, I think, was uh, uh, a campaign that uh, confused uh, the sex with uh, uh, the, the word "sex" in the in the uh, in the proposed amendment with sexuality. I mean, so there was a whole undertone of that. Uh, that wasn't ancient history to me. That was 1986. That was my first term as attorney general. So I, I, that, I'm sure that brought uh, some kind of context. Um, but uh, that wasn't a that I think was an experience of having been in Vermont and served in Vermont more than having anything to do with the party politics. So you knew that any judgment that you uh, gave about same-sex marriage was going to send tremors throughout the country. Um, what does that do to you as somebody who, who knows that this national spotlight is suddenly about to swing and bear down intensely on you? 
Uh, well, I don't. I, you know, we we shifted to the legislature so they could. Uh, there is more. There is more uh, spotlight on on uh, on the legislature. I think I did, we. I certainly understood the decision would be very controversial. I also understood, uh, given the state of the. Uh, the issue nationally, uh, Defense of Marriage Act had been supported by President Clinton. Uh, California had just passed a, 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 a referendum uh, restricting uh, marriage to heterosexuals. So we understood, and I certainly understood, that this was a case with national repercussions. But I don't think one really thinks about it in those kinds of terms. And, and uh, I will say I got a fair amount of mail, but uh, that's a that was to be expected on, on a decision like this. What were some of the personal repercussions for you of being the author of that Baker versus Vermont decision? Well, I think, um, I, I suppose, personally, it's a decision that, um, uh, though I take points to point out, it was a five-member court, unanimous decision. It's a decision which I've been uh, personally identified with, uh, which... Um, I, I certainly am I'm very pleased that that I, I am given the uh, the sequence of events. Um, I suppose in the in the in the, uh, in the in the interim period, again, as as Nina and Stacy would know, and certainly as the lawyers knew, there was quite a there was a gap between the Baker decision of 1999 and the Massachusetts decision of Goodrich decision of 2003, in which. Um, what one saw was constitutional amendments prohibiting gay marriage being passed uh, throughout the United States. I think something like 36 states had passed that. So there was a time when um, it certainly did not appear that uh, the decision had done much more than put the put the matter up for national discussion, but had not advanced it in terms of human rights. Um, and obviously, uh, one of the, from my own personal standpoint, is one of the results that um, means the most to me that is that we reached the point we're at now. Uh, let me turn back to Nina Beck and Stacey Jollis. Um, what did it mean for you to win that court case that um, established civil unions in Vermont, the case that you were part of? It was very difficult, uh, David, at the time, because in some ways, and I, this is really my own, only my own opinion. I don't know that how many people share this opinion, but... I, I felt like it was a, a great fight, but that in some ways we had lost. Um, we had come so close to having marriage, and we didn't quite get there. We got civil union, which was wonderful in a lot of ways. Um, but as a parent, um, it still didn't protect my child with the federal benefits of Social Security should something happen to me. So there were it was very bittersweet for me in many ways. This is Stacy talking? Yes, it is. Um, how was it viewed in the LGBT community? This is Nina. Uh, I, I think I think there were a lot of people who were thrilled. Um, you know, it was a huge step forward. Um, and there were also people who wished the court had just gone that extra step and given us marriage without having to take it to the legislature. Um, you know, we... We felt at that time marriage would be coming. We had enough from that decision to celebrate, to say marriage is coming one day. Um, 
And there were some very real reasons to want marriage instead of civil union. It still didn't um, address the question of what happens if I go across the lake to New York and something happens to me and my marriage is not recognized in New York State. Um, so there were a lot of really practical, logistical uh, things that were not addressed really by civil union. And I think, as Stacy said, it was bittersweet. Uh, I think a lot of people celebrated and a lot of people just wished we had been able to get marriage at that point. We're talking about this week Vermont's role in the revolution that has swept the country of marriage equality. We have as our guests here former Chief Justice Jeffrey Amistoy, State Representative Bill Lippert, Attorney Susan Murray, and the original plaintiffs in the court case that led to civil unions and ultimately same-sex marriage, Stacey Jollis and Nina Beck. I want to just circle back to uh, Chief Justice Jeff Amistoy. You just heard Nina Beck and Stacey Jollis talk about how bittersweet it was not to just get same-sex marriage. Why didn't you legalize marriage, same-sex marriage, in 1999? Well, I certainly understand their the their feelings and the feeling the feelings of others. Um, I want to speak first to one to the points they both made about. Uh, Reaching the issue of, for example, Social Security or recognition in other states, that, of course, could not be done by the Vermont Supreme Court. All we could do in Vermont was uh, interpret Vermont law uh, as it related as it related to Vermont. Um, you know, I'll leave to others to make a judgment on on whether that was the r- right or wrong decision in terms of the uh, what the landscape looked like for going forward. But um, as I talked about a little bit about when I spoke of uh, trying to phrase this in in language that would resonate with Vermonters, there certainly was going to be uh, in the legislature, uh, as well as outside the legislature, efforts to try to repeal the opinion uh, by virtue of a constitutional amendment. Um, I think Bill can speak better uh, than I can about this, but uh, I think most legislators would have been very happy to kick it over to the, the voters at large and not have to directly face the issue and the final point is that people forget there was not not only was there no uh, recognition of gay marriage in the united states there wasn't in the world and when people talk about domestic partnerships or civil unions being recognized in the world at that point in time it was true in relatively few numbers of the scandinavian countries but they didn't recognize adoption of uh, children by same-sex couples, which had already been done in Vermont and which had done before I was on the court and very much advanced uh, the path that we were able to follow. But uh, in, in, and now civil union seems like a fairly modest step. At the time, I, I don't think it, it was modest. Well, let's turn to uh, Representative Bill Lippert. Um, Bill Lippert ha- was the first openly gay member of the Vermont State Legislature. He was vice chair of the Judiciary Committee when the issue of civil unions was essentially tossed like a hot potato from the Supreme Court over to the legislature. Um, Bill Lippert, talk about um, what what did it mean to you when this decision came down, the Baker decision uh, to the legislature? Well, in December of 1999, when the court announced the Baker decision, it, it was it was like a thunderbolt, really, for the legislature, because I want to tell you that uh, I had had many conversations with Beth and Susan 
And Beth had always assured me, don't worry, you will never have to vote on gay marriage. This is a court process. We're taking it through the courts. The courts will make the decision. And I have to tell you, many, many of my colleagues, as the court was considering the case before it announced its decision, had approached me and essentially begged me to say, Bill, please, we don't want to ever have to be on the record around gay marriage, which it was called then, by the way. And it's interesting to note the shift in language from the period of 1999-2000 when it was, quote, working for gay marriage and the shift in language and kind of a reframing of the issue to a degree that now in 2009 uh, or in 2015 um, and even in 2009, we find ourselves talking more about marriage equality, which I think is a, a better understanding of what, what we really have been fighting for. But I do have to say that when the Baker decision came down, uh, virtually no one had anticipated the court's granting of all the rights, responsibilities, and privileges of the marriage statutes, but leaving it to the legislature to determine whether marriage statutes should be expanded to include same-sex couples or whether some unknown yet undefined legal structure could be created. And I, I want to give credit to Michael Obahoski, who was the Speaker of the House in 2000. And I spoke with him just the other day about this again. Uh, there was tremendous pressure, or as he put it, counsel. He was given a great deal of counsel by close political friends to not engage the issue in the legislature for fear that the issue was so controversial that it would, uh, re regardless of what the outcome became, that it somehow might jeopardize his being the Speaker of the House, which is a very important and a very pivotal, powerful position. Uh, Speaker Obahoski, Obi as we all call him, made what I think was a tremendously important decision and in many ways a courageous decision when he decided that yes, the legislature and in particular the Vermont House of Representatives would go first and would take up this issue in January of 2000. Just really a matter of weeks after the court decision which came down in the middle to late part of December. I forget the date exactly. But we did not have a lot of time to prepare. Um, Another important piece was that the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Representative Tom Little, uh, played a tremendously important role. And a decision was made that this would be the only thing the House Judiciary Committee would consider until we resolved what we were going to do. That's unheard of. Usually we're, the House Judiciary Committee is juggling as many as 10 different political issues at the same time. But we focus strictly on the Baker decision. I, I think it's important. I, I was the vice chair and I was the only openly gay member of the General Assembly. And for a time, I felt like that was part of my name. They'd say Representative Bill Lippert, the only openly gay member of the Vermont General Assembly. Uh, but I do want to correct for the record uh, that I'm not the, I was not the first openly gay member of the legislature. Uh, Representative Ron Squires played a very pivotal role in the 1992 uh, enactment of the what was then called the Gay Rights Bill, a non-discrimination a bill including sexual orientation and at the time he was the only openly gay member as well and 
I understand and I understood what it meant to become the voice of the gay and lesbian community in that setting. As different people have said, uh, there's a difference between there's a difference between being around the table as opposed to at the table. And I felt greatly privileged uh, to have a pivotal voice in that debate in 2000. For me, civil, and I think as uh, Jeff Amnesoy has indicated, his background as an elected official and mine as an elected member of the House also helped inform my analysis of what, where we were. And it became clear to us that while I voted for marriage in the committee and a handful of legislators ultimately voted for it on the floor, it was clear that we were not going to be able to achieve full marriage, uh, gay marriage or marriage equality in the House at that time. Did you consider uh, fashioning a, a gay marriage bill? Well, there was a gay marriage bill and it was voted on as an amendment on the floor, but it did not prevail. There was, it was clear we, the Vermont Freedom to Marry Task Force and others, uh, in the midst of incredible pressure, incredible turmoil, um, with people coming from all over the country to support and oppose, mostly to oppose um, the what was the Baker decision and the legislature's consideration of it. Uh, amidst that, there was finally a decision that we would move forward with this as yet unnamed parallel legal institution, which we created the term civil unions in the House Judiciary Committee because we wanted it to be clear that this was not a religious act. There was a lot of confusion about what was a religious marriage and what was a civil marriage. And we hoped to find a term that would give some sense of dignity and recognize that we gave every right and responsibility under the Vermont laws and under Vermont case law that we could by we substituted the term civil union for the term marriage in every part of Vermont statutes, regulations and case law. But it wasn't marriage. It didn't grant the status of marriage, but it did grant for the first time anywhere in the United States legal recognition of same sex couples. And I thought that was a tremendous step forward while at the same time recognizing that it was a tremendous, it was bittersweet and actually a tremendous disappointment for those who were committed to marriage equality. I also made a decision for myself personally in 2000 while celebrating, and I truly thought it was a great achievement, celebrating civil unions, that I personally would stay in the Vermont legislature, if at all possible, until we achieved full marriage equality, which with much hard work, and commitment on the part of the Vermont Freedom to Marry Task Force and many others we did in 2009. So I, I want to, um, you know, as a journalist who covered that, uh, the whole effort in 1999, I was writing about it for Mother Jones. And for listeners who aren't aware, it was really high drama. I remember, you know, in the depths of a Vermont winter, the national anti-abortion crusader Randall Terry, the head of Operation Rescue, had relocated to Vermont to lead an uprising against this. Busloads of Southern evangelical church members had arrived in Vermont and set up shop in an office on uh, State Street in Montpelier. I remember going in to interview the leaders 
And I walked in. I thought I was at a Southern barbecue. Everybody there had a thick Southern accent. This was the operation, the national operation to stop gay marriage, uh, you know, where it was rearing up here in Vermont. I remember you, Bill Lippert, speaking, your voice trembling on the floor of the House as you implored your colleagues, uh, because it was, as you point out, by no means certain it was going to be every last vote. And I remember um, there were um, members of the House. I was particularly following an older gentleman, a state representative, Bill Fife from Newport. He was ill. His wife was in the hospital. Um, He was scheduled to go in for surgery. He was wheeled in in a wheelchair to bring that vote, uh, to to cast his vote. Uh, He was a Republican from Newport, a former jail warden. Um, What was the feeling that you had in this? And and you didn't know how it was going to go at the end. I have to say, we did not know how we would, whether we would prevail when we went onto the floor, I believe it was April 15th in 2000. We had counted the votes. Others had counted the votes. We did not have the votes. We knew we did not have the votes going onto the floor. And there was a decision made with the speaker. What should we do? And I felt strongly that we had come so far that even if we were to lose, we needed to have the debate. We needed to bring it to everyone. I tell you, I, I choke up still thinking about it. Um, when I think about Bill Fife and Bob Kinsey and Diane Carmoli and John Edwards and Marion Milne and numbers of others, there were over a dozen legislators who, as we debated for 12 hours on the first day, civil unions, we were really, as I said in when I spoke, we were talking about the place of gay and lesbian people in our community and what rights we had or didn't have and who would grant those rights. And it was not at all certain we would prevail. We prevailed because there were legislators, I call them allies, allies to gay and lesbian people, legislators who were willing to risk and some of them knowing full certain that they would lose their political career by voting for civil unions. John Edwards knew he's a retired state trooper in Swanton. He knew that his district opposed this. He served on the House Judiciary Committee. We served together and he struggled. And he, as has said to me on and publicly, finally came to the conclusion it was the right thing to do. He didn't come to the legislature to vote for gay marriage or civil unions. But he made the decision along with Marion and others. And there's a quote from Marion Milne, the late, now late Marion Milne, who I've reviewed much of the debate from that day. It's recorded. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget words from Marion Milne as a part of her speech on the floor that day. She said, I will not be. Uh, I will not be intimidated by prejudice and hate or something close to those words. And, and she went on to say, if this is the, if this is my final vote, if this is what ends my career, I will have done what is right. The courageous actions of 
my colleagues who were my allies um, was just, I think has never fully been celebrated uh, to the degree it deserves to be. I was, I, I, I was proud to play the role I got to play, but I was one vote. We're uh, talking to Representative, Representative Bill Lippert, who's one of the people we're speaking with today about Vermont's role in the marriage equality um, effort uh, that is now marriage equality now legal, thanks to the Supreme Court. Um, well, there's a little bit of history in our studio here uh, as um, Bill Lippert and Jeff Amistor, you've never been together and actually talked about this uh, shared history that you have. Um, Bill, you were recounting at the break uh, that you once saw the former Chief Justice uh, across the courtroom. Just describe the one time you met Jeff Amistoy. Well, I have to say there's there's a respectful different distance that is often kept between the court and the legislature uh, so as not to try to uh, unduly influence each other. Uh, and around this decision in particular, uh, because it was clear that it could go back to the court. There were those in, who were counseling, uh, depending on what we did, whether we created civil unions or whether we succeeded or failed. There were those who thought the case would go back because the court kept jurisdiction of the case. And so there was there was a respectful distance kept. Uh, and I understood that. I also it was it was a profound moment in my life and my political life. And I remember, Jeff, um, in the card room or the, the one of the foyers of the state house outside the house chamber one day, I was coming down, walking down from the cafeteria and there were a lot of people around and I could see you coming in from another direction and standing across the room. I, I remember we kind of caught each other by the eye, looking at each other and there was a moment of hesitation and we both kind of walked toward each other. And I just remember you sticking out your hand and saying, I'm pleased to be on the same page of history with you. And that meant a tremendous amount to me. Uh, that was the extent of our exchange. Uh, I don't remember what year that was, but it was sometime after, uh, we had, after we had prevailed with creating civil unions. There, is, there are so many, I have to say, there are so many stories to tell. There are so many stories of uh, courageous action, uh, dedication by folks in Vermont Freedom to Marry, going to county fairs and setting up booths about gay marriage at county fairs, um, the, the courageous work in 2009 to pass full marriage equality when I, as part of my commitment, I wanted to stay on that Judiciary Committee even through the backlash of four years when we lost our majority, um, when we came back to having a majority that supported civil unions and potentially marriage, I had the great honor to be named the chair of the House Judiciary Committee by Speaker Gay Symington, something I sought to do. Um, and in 2009, when after many years of fear on the part of legislators who really were gun shy uh, if you will, about having voted on such a controversial issue in 2000 and the stories that were told about people who were defeated. Um, by 2009, the Vermont Freedom to Marry Task Force had laid the groundwork again for a vote on full marriage equality. And 
if I may, just to say that, you know, we, we went forward and this time we had a big majority in the Senate and a big majority in the House, but it wasn't enough. In fact, Governor Douglas vetoed the bill and that upped the ante to a whole nother level where instead of having a simple majority, we had to have two thirds and we had not achieved in the House a two thirds majority. So once again, in 2009, I, Speaker Shep Smith at the podium going to the floor, not certain where the votes would fall, but having had many conversations. Uh, and that was just the culmination of, in Vermont, all of these years of incredible conversation, a, a conversation throughout the state that I think the likes of which had never taken place, in my view, in any political entity, where people in 2000 were just, everyone was talking about what was happening and what the what about gay marriage? And in 2009, here we were, once again, voting on the floor of the House, and it was going to determine whether we achieved full marriage equality. And that roll call vote was a cliffhanger. And we achieved it by a vote of 100 to 49. We had to have 100 votes on the prevailing side if there was all of us there or a short one person. It was, um, it's a testament to, again, to the courage of some legislators who had voted no initially and had an opportunity to think further about it or to recognize that there was such a strong majority voting yes that even in the face of the veto by the governor, by Governor Douglas, that they said Vermonters deserve to have what the majority of the legislature has said is the will of the people. And in that vote, I, I can remember uh, as Speaker Smith announced the vote, you could hear the, a quaver in his voice. Uh, it was a highly emotional moment for everyone. And Beth and Susan, uh, the, the, the plaintiffs, we were all there. It was, it was a, moment, a moment of tremendous achievement and tremendous satisfaction and one which I don't think any one of us could have predicted in 2009 we would be having the conversation in the context of the United States Supreme Court acting in 2015. Uh, I also remember that vote to override and just to put it in its context only six times in the um, 225 year history of the state of Vermont has a governor's veto been overridden uh, up until that moment? It's extraordinarily difficult to muster a two-thirds majority. And I remember the roll call, uh, and you literally didn't know. People were hanging on the votes of each member, and you won with one vote. I also remember one of the things that was most moving to me, and I think to many legislators, was the testimony leading up to that, and the testimony of children, the children of gay couples was you could hear a pin drop in the well of the house they were so eloquent and so powerful in what they said about why it was important for them uh, for their two moms or their two dads to be recognized and for their family to be recognized by the state um, yeah some of the, the voices of Vermonters um, 
Nina Beck and Stacey Jollies, I want to circle uh, back to you. Uh, you are, in a sense, where it all began as two of the, the courageous Vermonters who stood up. Um, how do you reflect on this, hearing this history recounted? Um, uh, what does it make you feel as in terms of your role in it and where you are today? This is Nina, and I have to say... I feel incredibly proud to be part of, to have been part of this moment with so many incredibly talented, uh, wonderful people. And it just makes me feel very proud that I live in a state that wants to create equality for everyone. And I, I sort of felt as Bill was talking, every moment of elation and every moment of of uh, uh, of the opposite of the, the roller coaster ride that it was to to take this journey and to fight these fights that I remember going to the county fairs I remember the barns painted in huge letters that said take back Vermont you know the backlash you know how upsetting that was to everyone um, and yet how how proud we felt you know we we were incredibly proud that civil unions came and it was. It was a huge, huge step forward, and I remember the drama of the roll call counts for civil unions and for marriage, and um, it was a great thing to have been part of. And I'm, I, um, I think we're we feel very pleased at this point, and very, very pleased that you know marriage, our marriage has been recognized everywhere in the United States. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Well, um, Jeff Amistoy, we're going to give you uh, um, the last word here, uh, a decision you wrote that uh, how long did you think it would take or did you think in your lifetime there would be marriage equality throughout the United States? Uh, well, I think probably like Nina and Stacy, I didn't expect to see it throughout the United States uh, in, in, uh, in my lifetime anyway. I was saying to Bill Lippert as I came in, my law clerk had reminded me after the civil unions case that I said we will have same-sex marriage in Vermont within 10 years, and that came to be true. But I don't think I ever crossed my mind that we would reach a point uh, only uh, six years later that uh, the United States Supreme Court would echo really uh, the analysis that Vermont used uh, in uh, the 1999 decision. Okay, well, that'll uh, do it for our conversation about uh, the Vermont's connection to the marriage equality revolution. I want to thank uh, former Chief Justice Jeff Amistoy, Representative Bill Lippert, Attorney Susan Murray, and Stacey Jollis and Nina Beck for joining us. This Vermont conversation originally aired on July 8, 2015.